The following sermon is by Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. And now, here's Pastor Steve. Amen, church. Let's take our Bible and turn to Exodus chapter number 20. Today we'll finish up the Ten Commandments and We've taken a few each of the past few Sundays, and of course when we do that, there's no way we can go in depth, but just hit the highlights of these, and we're in the middle of our series on the New City Catechism, and that just simply asks some good questions, and so the question for this Sunday is, what is the law of God contained in the ninth and the 10th commandment? So would you uh, read with me silently as I read for us verse number 16. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not cover your neighbor's house. You shall not cover your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer together? Our Father, we do come to You because we need You. We pray that You would strengthen us and help us. I pray and thank You for this good time of singing and of giving and praying and being with Your people. And I pray that You would uh, encourage us, strengthen us from Your Word. Your Word is the hammer that breaks the rocks of our hearts in pieces. Your Word never returns void, but it accomplishes all that you desire it to do. The Word of God is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. As we hide Your Word in our heart, we might not sin against You. Father, help us to study Your Word today to show ourselves approved workmans that need not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We pray now, and certainly you are here, but we welcome the Spirit of God to work in our own hearts and lives, to use the word of God to teach us how to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray for your help. We need you today. Every individual in this room needs you. This church corporately needs you. Father, I would be the first to admit I need you so very much today. So we pray and plead and ask for your help. I pray that if there's anyone here today, Lord, and their mind is so focused upon other things in life, whether they be good things or bad things, whatever it may be, Lord, Maybe they feel like they can't even help it. We pray that you would lasso their attention in for a few moments on your word. I pray to Lord that if there's anyone in this room today who has anything in their own heart towards somebody else, that there be an overwhelming sense of forgiveness in them. And Lord, that you would use the word of God and the spirit to change us, to be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we will give you honor and praise and glory. For it is in the name of the Lord Jesus we pray these things. Amen. I was uh, up early this morning 
And uh, just kind of reading through the text, praying a little bit and getting ready for uh, today. And uh, I noticed as I was looking just through uh, the morning news uh, on NPR, I looked at the top 10 news stories out today. And wouldn't you know it that uh, at least, I think probably five or six of those top 10 uh, news stories that are out that have gone on this week have to do in great part with these two commandments. You remember we've spoken about all the commandments, but we said today is don't lie, right? And don't covet. You, you remember how we, we said that, right? Don't lie. So we want to put, uh, we want to put one hand in the air, one hand on the Bible. We want to swear to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And then we said that, uh, we don't want to covet, right? We don't want to take what's not ours. We don't want to have uh, inordinate and ungodly desires for those things that don't belong to us. And so I, just reading down through the story, and it doesn't matter whether it's the government or whether it's uh, things going on internationally or whether it's things going on in our own state or in family life, seemed to me that the majority of the stories I were looking at have to do with this idea of uh, telling the truth or not lying and not coveting. And I thought, wow, this is really up to date. And then I was sitting in Sunday school a little bit ago and uh, somebody came in, they saw my post that I said six out of the 10 stories. And the way they took it was that only about 60% of what the news media reports is true, <laughs> which I would say it's probably a lot less than that, but I digress. All right. But I would say to us that the ninth and the 10th commandment are very important for our lives, that we don't want to lie and we don't want to be the kind of people who covet. And when God brings down the 10 commandments, he understands that there's something going on in the heart of human beings who are in the fallen condition that we are not naturally uh, bent toward telling the truth. In fact, we are dishonest people. We want to hide things and guard things and not say the way that it is. And God knew that since the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden, natural in the heart of unbelieving people is to covet over those things that we do not have for ourselves. And so we just want to kind of look at these two commandments briefly today. So first of all, here's the first one. Look at verse number 16. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Maybe you might want to jot this note down. Here's the way that I would say that today. Don't slander people, but stand up for people. Let me say that to you again. Don't slander people. Stand up for people. Now, at first glance, when you look at this verse, verse number 16, you, you, might not, uh, you might not read all of that in there, but let me assure you that all that's contained in verse number 16 encompasses all of these things. So let me take it, let me pull back the, the layers on the onion. First of all, there is this general concept in verse number 16 of don't lie. Be, the, be an honest kind of person. Don't tell lies. Be a truth teller. And I want to say to all of us in here, don't you know that the predisposition of your own heart fallen and away from God is to be a dishonest person. We, we find ourselves lying all the time. We lie to our spouses and we lie to our children and we lie to our friends and we, uh, we lie to our bosses at work and we say things that aren't truths or they're half-truths or they're bent-truths or they're things that are meant to give us a, an advantage in life and they're meant to hurt or tear down or pull away from somebody else. And I just want to say to us, God would say to every believing person in here today. Be the kind of person that tells the truth. Amen? Wow, that was weak. We'll spend some time on this. Be honest. Be, be honest with yourself. Be honest before the living God of heaven. 
and be honest with the people that are around you. We have a tendency all the time to, uh, to, to slight the truth or to say things that are dishonest in order to give us an advantage and in order to pull down somebody else or make them look lesser than the way that they should be. And God comes along and just in general, God says, you need to be the kind of person that is honest and wholesome and desires the truth of the Word of God. Be a truth teller, not a liar. You see, brothers and sisters, one of the reasons why this command is so important is because when you are the kind of person that tells lies consistently, you become the kind of person that cannot be trusted. And God understands that relationships with Him and relationships with people around us are built on the concept of trust. And if you can't be trusted because you are a liar, you will disintegrate and hurt all of the relationships that are around you. And furthermore, you'll damage the relationship that you have before the God of heaven. Don't be a liar. Be a truth teller. Amen? Uh, you watch the news, and especially in the political world, uh, and, and you'll see that nobody ever wants to say that they were lying anymore, that they, uh, they distorted the truth, or they didn't give the whole truth, or whatever else they say, they don't want to go ahead and call what it is. It's a lie. Don't lie to people. Relationships are built on trust, and relationships are built on truth. I know this may not be a popular message, but hopefully today it's settling in on your heart. In the general sense, this text is saying, don't lie. Fundamentally, when you lie, you're going against God and against other people. For God is truth. Isn't that what the Bible says? And God wishes for His people to mirror and to put forth or to be the kind of image bearers that He is. And so if we bear the image of God and God always tells the truth and we are the kind of people that lie, then we distort the image of God in us and we make Him a liar by our own actions. What God desires for us is to be the kind of people who tell the truth even when it hurts. Not only does this have a general sense of don't lie, but I want you to understand, look back in the text, it says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. So it's not only lying in general, but it is making false accusations about people. What you should know is that Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments, comes down into a community, into a covenant of people, the Israelites. And furthermore, as you push that into the New Testament, these, uh, these come into the church life and it comes into the covenant community of God's people. And he says, listen, you ought not to make false accusations. You ought not to slander. And that's really what a false accusation is, or that's what slander is, is when you accuse somebody within the covenant community of something that they did not do, something you don't know that has been done and you disparage them and you put them down you pull them down with your words and, and so the Bible here not only says don't lie but don't be the kind of person who slanders other people and furthermore, we don't want to slander people in the world. We don't want to slander our neighbor. We don't want to slander those in our community. But can I say something preaching to our congregation? We don't want to be the kind of people that slander each other within the life of the church. 
And I cannot tell you how many times I have seen brothers and sisters in ministry and churches that I have known that have been torn apart at the very seams, lives that have been ripped apart, people who are once a part of good Bible-believing churches and they don't want to go back, they don't want to have anything to do with God, they don't want to read the Scripture, they don't want to be faithful, and all the reason why is that some other brother or sister in church life tore them down, slandered them, said disparaging remarks about them, made accusations accusations about them and tore them down. That ought not to be the way it should. Now you say, preacher, you stopped preaching and started meddling. I want you to understand that when you gossip, when you talk about people behind their back, when you say things about people that you don't know to be true, you're breaking this command. It doesn't matter what the it doesn't matter what the talk is around the water cooler. It doesn't matter what you hear in the back corridors and hallways and in Sunday school rooms. It doesn't matter what all of these things out here. When you start getting into the idea of jumping into those conversations and like piranha, they just jump in and, and tear people apart and slander, pull down. It's against God and His character, brothers and sisters. Don't be a slanderer. I, you know, as a pastor, let me tell you what, can I just share with you? Let me just peel off the, uh, peel off the wrapping. Can I tell you one of, one of the hardest things about being a pastor? Let me just share with you. You, you jump into this ministry world. Let me help you for a minute. One of, the, one of the hardest things about ministry is this. Sometimes people in church life will see you do something or correct somebody or help somebody or do anything. And they'll get angry because they don't like it. They don't like what you did and what you said and how you did it. And they'll say all kinds of things about you. Now, this would never happen here, of course, because we're a perfect church. But I'm telling you, in ministry life, and they'll just go around and they'll, do you know what that pastor, did you see what they did? Do you know it? And you know what? As a pastor or a leader in ministry, what hurts so bad is you know truth in your soul about a situation that you can't possibly gossip or tell somebody about. And you just have to take what they're saying against you. I want you to be careful. If you think that happens in ministry, it happens with brothers and sisters in our church and in every other good church. Sometimes you make an accusation at somebody and you don't have all the knowledge. You don't know both sides of the story. In fact, you don't even know the side you think you know as well as you think you know it. So can I just say something since the children have gone to children's church? If you don't know, shut your mouth. Sometimes the most godly thing you can do is be quiet. Yeah. Brothers and sisters, the sin here is slandering in the community. Uh, there, there's churches I've been to before. I'm preaching revivals or this or that or some other part. And it just, there's a deadness. There's a coldness. There's, there's, there's a, there's something that's going on. And, and you know, as you're preaching, as you're working, that there is something that is blocking the tube of the blessing of God. And, and I would probably say seven out of ten times, it's because there's gossip and there's slander and there's backbiting that is going on in the community. And it's wrong. It is ungodly. We don't want to be those kind of people. God comes to us through this commandment and says, don't disparage, don't make false accusations, don't 
slander someone else. Not only is it discussing here lying and making a false accusation, but I really want to drive home that this has to do in a community setting. You see, look at what it says in verse 16. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now certainly all of the world is our neighbor, right? Our enemy is our neighbor. Uh, people are our neighbor. We want to share with them and love with them. We don't want to backbite and gossip and slander anybody in your community. But the community that's talking about here is church kind of community, covenant community. Those who have accepted Christ, believed on Him, and they're walking in faithfulness with the covenant community. God says, don't talk about them. Don't say things that aren't true. Don't make accusations that you don't know about. Don't tear apart the fabric of the community and the covenant that I've put together by my grace, by my mercy, by my love, by my sacrifice. God, through the Lord Jesus Christ, has made this His bride. Amen, church? And who are we to take the bride of Christ and throw mud on those members of God's bride? Who are we to make those kind of comments and say those kind of things? God would say, rather, listen, love and be gracious and be merciful and build up and edify. Don't tear down other people in church life. I'll show something else with you as a pastor. I don't know, the longer I go, the more I wonder... You know, part of the reason why I enjoy teaching, uh, and Mark's been covering for me the past few weeks, and we're pretty close. You're going to have to cover another few weeks, but I, I enjoy teaching the uh, I enjoy teaching the youth guys. You know why? You know why that is part part of what I enjoy with our youth and with our children is trying to reverse some of the damage that has been done in years gone by. I, I want them to grow up to be the kind of believers that know how to forgive that know how to be gracious, that know how not to talk bad about people, that know how not to pile on. Can I say this? This is covered under slandering as well. I want us to be the kind of people that grow up in Christ enough not to assume the worst of people. It grieves my heart. Certainly not here, right? <laughs> Just take this. It grieves my heart when I see believers who get more giddy over discovering the sin of another believer than they do walking with Christ and coming to church and living faithfully and getting rid of the own sin in their own life and walking closer to Jesus. And you might be sitting out, are you serious? If you're saying that, you're probably the one I'm talking about. I mean, just clap our hands together and rub them. What did you hear that? You're happy. Somebody else. You want to hear what's going on. Did they fall? Are you waiting for them to fall? Don't be that kind of person. Don't be a slanderer. Let me give you the positive side of this text. Not only do we not want to be those who don't slander people, but with all of God's commands, when you understand when God says, thou shalt not murder... Right, The inverse, the indirect truth is there that you ought to preserve and think of the sanctity of life. Isn't that right? 
When, when God says that you have no other God before me, you're to make no graven image, God is saying you're to supremely worship and glorify the God of heaven. All of the inverse is true of all of these commands. It's not just that you don't commit adultery on your wife, but it's that you love her and cherish her and give your life over to her. God doesn't want you just not to slander. God wants you to love and build up and stand for believers. Don't slander. Stand up for people. Stand up for others, even if it means getting involved. Now, why would I say that? Haven't you ever known? You've probably been that person before. I've been that person before where you, you know some, there, there's something that's going on and untruth is being said about something and it's said in your presence and the back of your mind, you're like, I got enough drama in my own life. I don't need yours. Right? All of us are like that at times. That's not the way that Bible believers should behave. If you hear something that is said about somebody else and you know that to be wrong... It's not just that you don't join and not slandering, but you stand up for other believers. There would be no problem in churches with gossip and backbiting if good, well-meaning, right-living, humble believers would simply stand up and put a knot in their belly and have their backs made of concrete and say, no, that's wrong, and you're not going to talk like that in front of me. Amen? I need something today, brothers and sisters. Y'all help me now. You don't have to be Pentecostal, but you got to be Baptocostal, all right? Yeah. You got to stand up for others who are having being falsely accused. You got to stand up for others when they're being lied about. You got to defend them. You said, no, that's wrong. Let me, uh, let me give you a helpful application. The next time you hear something like this, hey Mark, you know, you know how you know how much I love Josh Hernandez, don't you? You know, I, come on, he's a good guy. You know it, right? But as soon as you hear those kinds of words, you y'all have heard that a bazillion times. Mark, I'm telling you what, listen, man, I, Josh is a good guy, isn't he? But but yeah, did you what? As soon as you hear that kind of garbage, the first thing you ought to say is, you know what? I don't know what you're talking about, but I'm going to take you by the hand and we're going to go talk with Josh Hernandez right now. Right? Because isn't that what the Bible says? I'm pretty sure that's what the Bible says. That you are to go and talk to the person that has offended you. And if you're scared to death to go to Josh because he knows karate. I don't, do you know karate? I don't even know if he knows anything. Listen, he might be. I, I do think he's packing though. He does. And some people in here are packing. So if you're nervous going to, going to somebody and saying, you hurt my feelings. You did this. You offended me. I heard that. If you're nervous or that, then just take a brother or sister with you. The next time somebody comes to you and they give you that little, they give you that little electric slide, step up and say, ah, did you, did you see what Jamie was wearing this last Sunday to lead worship? I'm not sure you can lead worship, but stop it right then. You know what, brother or sister? I'm not sure, but whatever's going on in your heart is enough for you to open your mouth and spew puke toward me. So I, let's go right now and sit down with Jamie. Now, if you don't do that, you're not right with God. 
If you do do that, you'll keep the unity in our church. You'll keep the strong grace of God flowing through the veins of our church. It's what the Bible says to do, not what Steve says to do. Gossip is a form of slander. Backbiting is a form of slander. It's not just not slandering, but I want us to be the kind of people that stand up for others. And can I say something to you? Every time I point out like this, I've got three pointing back to me, and I'm going to make a commitment to you right now. I made this commitment a long time ago when I first came here, but I'll make it afresh to you. I promise you, I do the same thing for you all the time. I always assume the best motives on your part. And if somebody comes to me about you, we're coming to you. Now you do that with each other. Do that in your own families. Do that in your relationships. Blossom that out not only in your covenant community, but in your work life, in your neighborhood, in your association, things that you're involved in. Demonstrate to the world the way this really looks like. Don't lie, don't slander, and get involved when you have to. Doesn't, you know, say, well, well they, might not, they might not like me. Well, listen, God's not called you always to be liked. God's called you to be biblical and right with Him. Amen? All right. Well, it's a good thing this sermon only has two points today. So let me move, let me move, to, verse number, let me move to verse number 17. You, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. Now, um, you know, aren't you glad that God, God knows us in our wily ways? Right, it's not. God could have just put "don't covet," and you would have figured some way out. I would have figured some way out to weasel our way out to where I could cover something that wasn't in here. But God gets a little bit more specific, right? He's like, "You, you shall not covet," and then he goes on your neighbor's house. Uh, you know, you're not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Maybe we could give like a 21st century version of this and say, you know, don't cover your neighbor's house, nor wife, um, nor, uh, you know, the people that work for them, or their Toyota, or their Buick, or whatever. You understand what I'm saying? Look, it goes on and on. God gets a little bit specific here, and he says, I, I don't want you to be the kind of people that are coveting. I say, what is, what is coveting? Coveting is an inordinate desire, a, a, a sinful desire and longing for something that's not yours and that God didn't give to you. There's nothing wrong with some desires, nothing wrong with, um, you know, watching, uh, you know, watching television saying, man, I'd like to have that 25 foot flat boat so I could go bass fishing. There's nothing wrong with saying that. But there is something wrong with allowing your mind and your heart to dwell on that and stay on that and desire that, and that becomes the overwhelming sense of your mind and heart. i got to have that. There's nothing wrong with, uh, you know, uh, going, over, uh, going over to Bill and Latrell's house, visiting them and saying, man, this is the finest house I've ever seen in my life. I, I wish I had this house. Oh, okay, they have a beautiful home. But now if you show up there and... You're angry in your heart because you say, well, if my wife would just work, a, work another job, we could afford to have something like this. If my kids didn't eat so much, we could have something like this. 
If my stupid boss would give me a raise and a transfer of position, I could have this. Now you've slipped into coveting sinfulness. As I was working through this week, uh, this is more lesson time for us today. I, I was working through, I'm trying to help us, and I came across an old Puritan, uh, Thomas Watson. I'm sure most of you don't read Thomas Watson, and some of his stuff, uh, rather hard to read, just Puritan writings. But uh, he had six practical applications for knowing whether you're suffering uh, with an attitude of uh, covetousness. And so I want to share those with you, and I've kind of reworded them a little bit so that they're a little bit more helpful for us today. And so you might want to jot these down. Number one, when the world dominates your thoughts. When the things of the world dominate your thoughts. Right? If you find yourself thinking more about the things you want and the material stuff that you want and the relationships that you want. All of you, when you find yourself thinking about all of these other things more than you're thinking about the Lord Jesus Christ and your home in heaven, the people of God that are your neighbors and your covenant community or your church, and winning people to Jesus Christ, and changing the world, and getting out here and affecting these, these uh, areas of lostness in our own community in Raleigh. When you find yourself thinking more about material things and relationships the things that you want that are of this worldly nature more than the things of God than you're suffering from the sin of being covetous. Number two, when you work harder for earthly things than heavenly things. Wow. Is that not an arrow and a dagger right to the heart? When you find yourself working harder for the things of the world than you do for the things of God, Coveting is going on in your heart. Man, that hits us right at home, doesn't it? We work so hard to, to provide, and there's nothing wrong. We want to provide for our families. We want, to, we want to make sure that we have a roof over our head and food on the table and nice things and vacations. And I get on, there's nothing wrong with all of that. But when you find yourself putting in 40 and 50 and 60 hours a week, and you're working overtime and you're doing all of these things and you're doing all of this work so that you can provide the home and the food and the vacation and the, and the cars and all of that kind of stuff. And you can't hardly squeeze out an hour hour anywhere in the week to worship God with his people, to read his scriptures, to pray, to, to serve, to share the gospel. When you find yourself working hard for the things of the world and giving very little effort to the things of God, coveting is what's going on in our own hearts. Please hear me because in this day and time, I need to make sure and get this caveat out here. You need to work hard and there's nothing wrong with it. And, and sometimes the Bible says, man, when won't work, you shouldn't eat. And he's worse than an infidel. So if you're the kind of person in here today and you're working hard, you're earning a living, God bless you. That's wonderful. But if you find yourself that you're wanting to work more and more and more and more to provide the things of this world for you and your family, no matter how good they are, and you, have, you don't want to put in some bit of effort into your own spiritual walk with Jesus, into your covenant community church, into evangelism of the lost of Raleigh and our state and the world, you're coveting. Number three, when all you talk about is this world. Now, let's listen to yourself during the week sometime. 
Listen to yourself in your conversation. Hey, I'm going to use myself as an example, right? And I just want you to put it in. And I'm going to use myself as an example because you're going to think like, well, how in the world can the preacher mess up on this? All right, so y'all don't crucify me. I'm just using myself. You put it in your own life. There are times where I'm talking with Connie and I will, I, it's like somebody, you know, like the movie, somebody slaps me on the back of the head, like, hello, McFly. And all I've done for the last 15 or 20, 20 minutes is talk about church life because that's where I work. That's what I do. And this, this is going on and this, and we've got vacation Bible school coming on. We've got this and we've got this and we've got this coming up. And I, is it possible that even my religious life is dominating my speech? Instead of spending time talking to my wife about how good God is and how gracious she is and the work and the love of God in our own family. Instead of discipling my family through talking about God and His Word, I'm dominated in my mind about what I'm doing for Him here. Now just check yourself this week. When you're in conversations with your friends, with your coworkers, with those who are closest to you, what do you talk about the most? You talk about what you've read in the Bible recently? You talk about what the Spirit of God is doing with you? With those that are closest to you in your life, do you find yourself sharing with them, with them where God is convicting you of sin and how you're wanting and longing to change to be more like Jesus? Or do you find your mouth talking about hobbies and about work and about all these good things? There's nothing wrong talking about some of these things. But do you talk more about the things of the world than you do about the things of heaven? You see, one, one day this world will pass away. I, I wonder sometimes if when we get to heaven, if you haven't been spending time with Jesus regularly now, how awkward will your first six weeks be in heaven when you get to know Him? If Jesus were going to say, you know, listen, I, just be real for a second. If, if we closed out of here in just a few minutes and Jesus came walking in and you were here, everybody in this room would say, I would want to bow down before Jesus and worship Him and love Him. Alright, so listen, if Jesus came in here, He sat down on the pew right beside you. How what would you talk to him about? What would you talk to him about? Would you talk to him about what you've been talking to him the last six days about? Or would you need to think up some conversation? No, I'm serious. I'm, just, I'm, I'm asking you that to think about that in your own soul. Have you talked to God? Have you talked to Christ in the last six, seven days in a relationship, an ongoing interactive relationship where He's the Lord and Master of your life. How awkward would your first 15 minutes be with Jesus? What if Jesus said to you, what's been going on? Well, Jesus, you know. Let's <laughs> right. be the kind of people that are following Him and talking to Him more than we talk just about what's going on in our life. Let me give you a few others and we'll call it quits for today. Number four, 
when you would pass over heavenly things to get to worldly goods. Hmm. Can't you just run that in your own life and find where it applies? Would you ever pass over heavenly blessings to get to earthly goods? Well, of course you would. Of course I would. They said, prove it to me. If I, if I offered you a $100 bill or to spend an hour in prayer to God, which would you choose? I put everybody on the spot, right? Like everybody's going to say, I'm going to spend an hour in prayer, but come on, just be honest, let's talk about it together. Sometimes we would pass over spending an hour with God in prayer if it meant that I could get a $100 bill in my hand. Brothers and sisters, I want to assure you that an hour in prayer poured out to God is worth far more than a $100 bill will ever take you. Number five, when you're too busy with worldly things for heavenly things. Not just passing over it when you're too busy. Hey, here's the kind of thing that I, I don't want to be said, but I used to want this to be said about me, and it was, it was a sin in my own life. He's got a lot of irons in the fire. I don't want to have a lot of irons in the fire. I got a few that are really necessary and right. My relationship with God, my relationship with my family, the dedication and the relationship that I have with my church body and the evangelism of the lost around me. I'm not sure what your irons look like. They might be slightly different, but shouldn't be too many. Of course, your relationship with God, we have that in common. Your relationship with your family. Uh, for many of you, it's, it's got to be a relationship or your, your, the way you provide for your family, your work. That ought to be an iron in the fire. Surely that ought to be there. But you ought to have a relationship with your church family and you ought to be concerned about the loss that are in the world. Brothers and sisters, sure, we have hobbies. We have things that we do. We have fun and games. And I'm not against that. I'm not a, you know, a galactic killjoy. But what I do want to say is when you've got a thousand irons in the fire and you don't have time for God, something's wrong. Something's wrong. And then number six. When you're so set on something that you'd sin to get it. When you're so set on having something of this world that you would sin to get it. Hmm. Now just let that run in your own mind and heart. There's a thousand ways I want to go with that. But Watch me now. I mean, this is just, I'm trying to shepherd us right. Just using me. So I'm going to use me again and then I want you to put this in your life. I'm trying to use areas where I'm, where I'm trying to struggle and work through, not where I've conquered it, brothers and sisters. I want so badly 
for my boys to grow up and be good and right. But if I give myself over to where they become the supreme love of my life before my relationship with my God and my wife, I have sinned to get something of this world. What I ought better to do is not meet, not, not give them every last single desire, not make the passion of my soul. The passion of my soul ought to be to love God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love my family, to love my neighbor, to be obedient to Jesus, and to raise my children to the best of my ability through God's help. And in the end... I will have not passed by God in an effort to make them good. That's a really heavy illustration. There's probably a whole bunch of us in here that have other areas, maybe not as heavy as your family. Maybe you're, maybe you're wanting a particular material item. You're, you're wanting something and you want it so bad that you would rather work overtime all the time to get it. Always telling yourself, we're gonna, you know, I'm gonna use that for the family. I'm gonna use that for this. I'm gonna, it's gonna be good. I'm gonna use that. Passing by God to provide for yourself something lesser. Let's not do that. We end the commandments by simply saying, don't lie. Don't cut it. I finish the sermon this way. I hope that you'll all hear this very carefully. Please, just pay attention for a moment. You'll find, if you'll keep reading the book of Exodus, that Moses will come down from the mountain. And the very first thing that happens is that Aaron has already broken the first commandment to not put God above everything, to not worship the one true and living God. And he's broken the second commandment by making a graven image. Do any of you remember this story? All the people are saying, hey, Moses has taken a long time in the office. We need a God. He said, take off all your earrings. And when Moses comes down and says, what have you done? Aaron says, the people just threw it in the fire and out popped a golden calf. Seriously, Aaron, how stupid do you think we are? Well, here's what I want you to know. God gives the law and says, this is my nature and this is what I want you to do. And the first thing that happens is the same thing that happens with everybody in this room. We break God's law all the time. We don't put God first. We make graven images. We don't rest in Him. We, we don't remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. We take His name in vain. We don't honor our father and mother. We commit murder through our anger. We commit adultery through our lust. We steal not only with our hands, but with our minds. We lie and we covet. Romans chapter number 8 
are some helpful words and healing words for my brothers and sisters and even those of you in here today who are not brothers and sisters. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For what the law could not do, weak as it was, not in itself, but for our own flesh, He did for us. What I want you to know today is that Jesus Christ is God's Son. He came to this world, lived a sinless, perfect life. He went to the cross and every sin that every man, woman, boy, or girl who would ever trust in Jesus Christ took into Himself. He died on the cross. Three days later, He rose from the grave with victory, paying for our sin. And anyone in this room today that would put their faith, their confidence, their trust in Jesus Christ could have all of their sins washed away, taken out of the old heart, put a new heart in, and serve and obey the law of God not to get to heaven but because heaven has already been put inside of you. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me for a moment? Maybe you're here today and you, you listen and you say, man, I, yeah, I tell lies. Of course I do. And geez, I want what my neighbor has all the time and I, I feel really bad right now. Can I tell you something? It's okay. That weight that you're feeling, that guilt that you're feeling is right and good as long as you come to Jesus. You don't have to leave here today with that weight on the inside. You can come to Jesus Christ who died for you. He took all of the guilt and the shame of every lie you've ever told and everything you've ever coveted, every sin that you've ever committed or ever will. Christ died for the ungodly. Trust Him right now. Say, Steve, I'm not even sure how to pray. Just write in your heart. Why don't you just talk to Him? Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I have failed. I have broken all of these commands in one way or another. And I need help. And I trust You right now. From a sincere and a simple and a humble heart, call on Him to save you. Commit your life to Him and He'll save you and make you His own. For my brothers and sisters in this room today, let us keep the law of God. Let us be honest people. People who don't covet, but who are content with what God has done for us in Christ. You've been listening to Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh. For more information and free access to other messages, please visit us at ebcraleigh.com.